Hello and welcome to Captivated Audience. My name is Marie Lundberg and I'm joined as always by my good friend and professional colleague, Sam Sheen. Hi Sam, how are you doing today? I am doing great. I have just acquired a brand new set of fantastic masks that I'm enjoying wearing outdoors. Well, I am excited to kick off this podcast because we have a very funny and clever person with us today, don't we, Sam? We do. No pressure at all. It's a former colleague of mine who I've worked with previously. I'd like to introduce everybody to Ben McKee. How are you doing, Ben? I'm doing very good, Sam. How are you? <laughs> tell, tell people from where you hail. What region of the UK? So oh, it's, a long, it's a long story. I'm a bit of a mutt, as they say. So I'm currently living in, right in the middle of the country, in the East Midlands, in a place called Northampton. But I've pretty much travelled and lived most places here in the UK. So never staying in one place too long, but sort of roots down in Northampton now. So tell us a little bit more about your professional career, Ben. I mentioned that you and I had worked together in the past, but you're a rare breed in that you have both worked inside of financial institutions and you've worked for them. So tell us a bit about that. Yeah, so I mean, I've, I've again had a bit of a nomadic career over the years. I mean, I, I started off in banking back in, gosh, the 1980s when it was all kind of, you know, you went straight from school into banking with a view to making, you know, millions and millions of pounds as a trader. That didn't happen for me because uh, I think it was Black Monday hit and then suddenly I found myself out of a job. So what do you do? So I retrained as a, as a direct marketer and spent a number of years doing that. And then just fell into working for the Prudential, so financial services in the old kind of insurance days. And then spent, gosh, the best part of nearly 20 years now working in financial services, but working for different organizations and different products. So I've kind of done the range of mortgages, bank accounts, private banking, and just to kind of see the, you know, the different products and the different sort of you know, customer bases that, that they have. And then most of them, you, know, you and I work together at ACAMPS, um, sort of looking at you know, how to help financial institutions to work out you know, how they should train their people and deliver the right systems and those kind of things to stop basically getting fined by the regulator, I guess. And then most recently, working for technology companies focused into um, financial services businesses, which I found absolutely fascinating, actually, getting to deal with, I guess, the nuts and bolts of the technological solutions that a lot of banks now use to, to help the fight for financial crime. So where are you currently working right now then? Tell <laughs> so us, Ben. <laughs> yeah, so I recently joined a business called Basis Technology. One of those funny businesses. It's long-standing, but it's a very uh, well-kept secret in financial services, shall we say. Ooh, it's a gem. I, well, I, I, I think it is having sort of come here and understood, you know, from scratch what the technology does. I got very, very excited very quickly. Ben, you know that... A chat about technology and data always gets us going. So when Sam and I do our case studies, we really like to dig into the well of information, don't we, Sam? So I was thinking, can we talk about adverse media and the good and the bad points about that? I think you're absolutely right. It has to be one of the most misunderstood areas of KYC and CDD for institutions. And we three of us were having a chuckle, I'll confess, yesterday when we were planning for this because I held up one bank's adverse media policy and procedure. And I tell you what, it would be a lot easier for me to split an atom than it would be to actually follow this procedure. <laughs> it's a tough area, isn't it, Marie? Agreed. It sure is. So, Ben, can you help us get the basis, haha, about <laughs> it and let us know how you help your clients with this ad basis technology? Adverse media is actually one of the, not few, but one of the growing areas within banks and financial crime that is suitable for AI. Okay, because there's a lot made of, you know, AI is a, is, a, is a potential solution for tons of different areas within financial institutions. That's probably a long way from the truth. But 
the way that, that sort of adverse media has developed or not, you could argue, and the way that technologies develop now, AI within adverse media actually makes perfect sense. So, so the technology that we have basically enables a machine to read like a human being. Okay, and so not just read, but to read and understand what's put in front of them. Like and, what? Like a document? Uh, like a document, like a web page, like an adverse media story from a data provider. Pretty much anything that's written word can be processed. I mean, it's this growing area of natural language processing that everyone thinks is the secret source of, you know, doing lots of these kind of applications. And it has got great applications. So using the natural language processing and layering some intelligent AI onto the top of it, what you can do is produce a machine that, that reads like your best analyst consistently on a regular basis. And so that's where the kind of power of AI and adverse media is you can automate and deduplicate a lot of the effort that human would ordinarily have to do, leaving humans to do what they do really well, which is to, at the end of it, check the output and say, okay, have I got something here that I need to then take up the line to understand whether we have an inherent risk for this particular entity or this particular consumer. Now, Ben, the way this used to work years ago was that regulated financial institutions were expected to look for adverse media, <laughs> meaning whether people had been taken to court, whether people had been convicted of murder, fraud, quite serious kind of stuff, right? And there was always this paranoia of, well, we can't rely on anything that's merely an allegation. We have to wait till they get convicted in court. So fast forward to 2020. And the European Banking Authority does a consultation. They're going to amend their guidelines to say, don't just dismiss adverse media if the person hasn't been convicted yet. But it revealed a lot more that the way we were doing it was overly narrow. No, no, ab absolutely. There's, I think there are so many different data sources out there. I was, reading, I was reading a statistic about the volume of data that's currently being produced at the moment. And it's something like 80% of all data on the internet has been produced in the last five years. So if you think about the kind of growth in data that's out there, there is more information out there, but then you get into the, the case of, so what, what am I looking for? What is, it, what is it I, as a financial institution, need to hunt in this, this kind of morass of stuff out there that helps me to understand whether this customer that I'm seeing has got an inherent risk? And the way that technology does it is instead of looking, because the way that, in my experience, most financial institutions at the moment work is they do sort of a keyword search. And they'll either be using sort of, you know, some banks that I've talked to just use Google and an analyst, which is an interesting approach, but some use a structured system where they'll be ingesting data from the third party provider alongside Google. And so if you look at the kind of different types of processes that banks have, you're going to get inherent differences about what you find. And it's going to be open to, to a lot of interpretation. Now, where technology comes in, instead of just doing a long keyword search that pulls back hundreds of thousands of hits you can actually program technology to go and find meaning so you could program it with predicate offenses with even source of wealth source of funds which are two kind of ones that seem to be again increasingly difficult for banks to do and then you can send the machine out there to look against the the kind of ingested services and look at you know on on the internet to find just those terms Okay, Ben, you mentioned Google, so let's talk about that. When using Google, you're typing in a keyword or a name, you get mm -hmm. a lot of information ranging from different articles on the same topic, from different news sites to gossip, etc. Tell us, how does your tech help with that? The, the way to, in lack of better words, divide and conquer it? Um, yeah, divide and conquer, that's, that's a good one, Marie. So how does it divide and conquer? Well, it, it doesn't divide and conquer. So it will, it will go out and ingest the data from either your source or you know, from Google but it will be looking for meaning within the words. 
Okay, so it's not just reading the words and saying, ah, oh, I found, you know, like a keyword variant of fraud in some description. What, what, what you're looking for is what's called the semantic meaning behind it. It's not going out looking for the keyword, it's going for, and looking for the kind of thoughts that, and concepts that sit around that. Can you give us a few examples, please? Yeah, because I, I think what we need more here, Ben, when we talk about adverse media is more than just a tool that says, I'm going to gather all the articles in the ocean about, say, Sam Sheen, because a lot of the time they're just repeats of the exact same article over and over and over again. So what do you do differently? What the, the application will do, it will look at the media coming back, it will read the media and it will assess the similarity that sits between them. Stage one, and you can tune this based around, you know, your risk model to say, I want 80, anything that's sort of 80% the same as another article, I'll consider a duplicate and remove. You can take that threshold up or down depending on what your risk appetite is. The solution will then kind of read the article and extract the entities out of that. So it will look and say, right, so this article is about this person and it has this attributes that sit around it. And then it will apply the semantic search, looking for the meaning around predicate risk offenses, source of wealth, again, whatever sits within your risk framework that you want to go and find in the, in the media. And then it will calculate all of that and then will only give you back articles that meet your risk threshold. So for example, if you get an article that you know, is a duplicate of another, doesn't have anything about predicate risk and isn't you know, the same Sam Sheen, it will discount that and it, will, and it won't show it to you. But should you go through that process and, it, and it's not a duplicate, you have a predicate risk that's clearly indicated, and that could be an allegation, but it will also differentiate between a victim of fraud and was defrauded, so that you can make sure that you are just picking up predicate risk. It will also then verify the identity, serve that up to you and say, this is a real risk that you need to look at. So the, the net effect of all of that is instead of a sea of stuff to look at, what you end up is a curated set of things where you know, using your risk model, we've identified that you have some inherent risk that the human analyst needs to pay attention to during the process. Well, that's kind of helpful, isn't it? Processing data can be messy, and we know that there is no such thing as perfect data. But in this case, it actually then helps you narrowing it down? Yeah. What it's doing is it's doing that piece of processing that an analyst would do upfront and providing and driving out all of the irrelevant and erroneous noise in the system and just drilling down to those particular items that are worthy of being looked at. Okay, so let's look at an example. One of the things I teach people on is the one MDB case. It's the case that keeps on giving. Yeah. It's just there's so many different aspects to it. But it was also discovered that he had been bombarding a Malaysian newspaper that was investigating the case with supposed criticism. And it turned out these people had actually gone onto a website, I think it's called WordPress. You can create your own sort of, you know, email address or website straight away. So how would your tool help? Because that stuff isn't, you wouldn't think of that as the most reliable sources. The way that, that a solution like this would look at that is we would find those articles and it would bring back articles on both, you know, for argument's sake, on both sides of the debate, the negative and the positive, but serve them back to you with a kind of sentiment score. Quickly what you'd see is that there was you know, one half of the media massively positive and probably being outweighed by all of the negative press coming out on the other side. But again, we'd be able to do that and serve that back and say, right, so here's what we know about this, this kind of one MDB case. But it would still take a human being to look at that and say, ah, so the machine's telling me that there's a small amount of, of positive press coming out and there's a huge chunk of negative news that's coming out around J-Lo and Tim Lesnar and all of these kind of guys involved in the one MDB scandal. 
it's, so the machine would, would kind of guide you to where you can make a decision, but it still require that sort of human interaction just at the end of the process. So you could potentially filter out all that Paris Hilton stuff and actually focus on what matters? Yeah, and absolutely. <laughs> you, could, you could set a Paris Hilton filter to remove her completely from your life if you wanted but to. But I want to know about the cars. I'm sorry. <laughs> Let's talk about another case. So Marie and I talk about during season two, the one coin case. You know, it's multi-level marketing scheme, right? It's, we call it, it cultivates support. People blindly, unfortunately, followed this thing. And, you know, Marie and I talk about, there is some crazy stuff online, but it was extraordinarily persuasive with people. There were blogs as late as late 2014 going, this thing doesn't stand up, right? doesn't pass the smell test. And it, it mm. continued on for some time before finally the Americans jumped on it. seems like everybody missed all the adverse media. How does your tool help in a situation like that? Good. That's a really good example, actually, because what the tool can do, and, and this, and it, again, when we're talking about extracting out information from the stories as part of the process, that could also include the source of that article. So again, if you've got a huge body of information coming from what you describe as reputable press, so you know, national newspapers, respected periodicals and journals, versus stuff just coming out of blogs, again, you can reflect the sentiment score that sits beneath it to say, actually, am I going to pay more weight to what comes out from reputable media? And I know that's one of the things that the EVA has in its consultation. It needs to be a reputable source to be able to verify that the news comes from the right place. Or is it just a whole bunch of people, like you say, sat on a WordPress, pinging out information saying, you know, one coin is great, keep investing. So you can actually drill into and look at the differing sentiments and size and, you know, the relative size of those and weight of those kind of sources to say, okay, so should I be taking somebody's blog post versus something that comes out of the Wall Street Journal? So on the topic of media, let's switch to social media. I'm guessing you're heading in that direction as well? Yes, yeah, so we're currently conducting some experiments at the moment with the same technology within sort of social media environment. Now, it's fraught with some challenges around GDPR, about what you can and can't look at. So there are some cha inherent challenges the way that you know, the data regulations in Europe are, are constructed. But we think there is an interesting proposition about, again, wrongdoing. So predicate offences within sort of social media, then there is an interesting proposition around just finding that one piece of information off kind of social media platforms. Ben, what's your take on social media and the fraudsters using it as a new platform, sort of like changing the modus operandi? I'd wholeheartedly agree. I think, you know, given where we are in, in the COVID and post-COVID world, tons of this stuff has moved on to online on social media, mm. which I think, you know, talking to a number of banks, they've seen you know, interesting spikes in certain types of fraudulent activity. And, and I was reading a case actually from, uh, from Holland, where it's quite sophisticated fraud that goes across well-regarded selling apps, WhatsApp, payment systems, through to banks, where people are being defrauded basically 400 euros for their iPhone, with this kind of intricate chain of activity that starts with a social media blog post about selling an iPhone. We've done some, ex some early experiments and it's pr looking pretty good, to be honest, where you can actually start to deconstruct some of that sort of social media presence to overlay where you're looking for, again, just specific items around financial crime in particular. It's showing that you can identify and pick out particular tweets and, and Facebook posts that would warrant further looking at. Ben, how about in the area of social engineering? I mean, taking this from a different perspective, the banks are now under increasing pressure to try and help detect where push payments or social engineering is occurring to try and stop consumers from giving away their life savings. How might your tool be able to be used in that respect, do you think? When you run information through our tool, 
and extract the entities from it, you end up with a network diagram. Now, they're, all, they're in vogue at the moment. Everyone likes to have a good network diagram. We did it live with a large banking institution who kind of threw out us as random, what can you see about Jeffrey Epstein? So we, we went out and went through our kind of, went through the social media and the internet and pulled back a whole bunch of business relationships. Now, obviously, that's been a lot in the news about people being fined for relationships with them. And within that kind of network diagram, we, we spotted that. But also what we spotted um, was a relationship with the bank we were talking to that the people that we were talking to were, were unaware of. That we'd just gone through basically combining ingested data from a third party with Google information and pulling the two together in a network diagram. It actually showed up that, you know, the bank we were talking to potentially had some kind of exposure as part of the whole Jeffrey Epstein case, which I think they found quite interesting. You know, Ben, I think there's some value in terms of what you're describing for the adverse media. And that's, again, in terms of getting traction, particularly where you may have a client who is extraordinarily valuable to the institution. And for governance failure reasons, people are not getting traction inside to say, I think this is a problematic relationship. Don't you find that's a real challenge, which is we, we talk about these things in isolation, like, oh, we'll find some adverse media. And of course, we'll bring that up. And of course, we'll end this relationship. It's, it, it's never quite as easy as that, is it? Uh, no, it's, it's never as easy as that. But I think what, if, you can, if you can combine all of the bad stuff, if you went and look at a normal client, right, you would, you would pull back probably a few articles that might hit your risk threshold in certain ways. If you went and looked at someone like an Epstein or you know, any of these, these guys that have been convicted, you'd pull back a ton of stuff it's almost like a heat map isn't it saying look here's a normal customer i've pulled back two articles both of which i've dismissed because there's a mention of something in the past but it's not cogent and it's not relative whereas i've done this guy and i've come back with 40 pages of stuff i need to look at there is a disparity there is a disparity here and and and, and more to the point this 40 pages of stuff that come back has been curated by an application that is looking for bad stuff it gives some more weight behind having to put the proposition forward that this is something that needs immediate attention doesn't it yeah, yeah, it does. And I think it's like, it's like with everything. It's, this is where the power of the AI comes in, is if you can just turn around and say, this is the process of how this stuff is dismissed, how it's selected, and how it is brought and curated for you to review as an as analyst, which gives you some weight internally to say, look, you know, this just isn't you know, a random selection of black box stuff that's come out of AI that we don't understand. It's actually a, a really clear process that says, here are the criteria we're going to follow to, to give you something to look at that you should care about as an institution. Ben, I'm picking up on one thing you said earlier about the ability to tune your tool to match the client's risk assessment mm -hmm. so you can get better output. That makes me curious. Implementing a new tool can be a bit of a hassle or is this more towards plug and play? So you get obviously with all of these systems, you get functionality out of the box that improves where you are. But... Then comes the kind of the, the, the clever bit, which is need, you need to work out a, you know, the way that the bank operates in, you know, and what their risk appetite is and how they've constructed their model. So what does that diagram look like of how they are handling adverse media? And can that then be replicated into the machine? The answer is yes. Then, of course, you need to actually start running data through the machine so it learns. So you train the machine on the data that you're using. So, for example, if your only source is to go out to Google, you're going to have a different set of criteria that the machine will use. Whereas if you're kind of ingesting one of these curated sets from a third party data provider, that's a very different data set that the machine needs to, to learn and tune on. The last part is actually when, once you start extracting sort of the information out of the system, 
it's just indicating back to the system that, okay, you've done a good job there, you've done a bad job there, which is a pretty simple process to, to be done. The machine then learns, obviously, the machine learning, that's what it says on the tin, and then it starts to understand that process that it's going through, and it, you make small incremental changes. Ben, when Sam and I chatted with Chris Brown uh, at Basis Tech, we talked about name matching and screening and the use of old keywords and lexicons in different languages, etc. So can I get you to tell us more about your approach then, please? What we're talking about is moving beyond sort of keywords and lexicons. Because that, that, the limitations on keywords and lexicons is that they, they become very big very quickly. So as you know, new typologies come, come along or new, new different ways, new phrases, you have to add to them. And then it suddenly becomes going from something that's pretty simple to do to something that's very difficult. And then that's in one language. If you then need to maintain them in 18 languages, that's 18 times the pain and difficulty of trying to maintain those lists. So we take a very different approach, which is looking at semantic similarity, understanding the kind of meaning of words and how they sit together when the machine reads. So it's not reading a keyword, it's, it's looking for a, the right concept. Now within those semantic linkages, you can link them across any language. So money laundering as a term, you can go across 12, 13, 14 languages having that same concept linked together. So when you are out looking for adverse media, it doesn't actually matter what language you're looking at because the, the software will pick up the semantic meaning in whatever language it's being pushed out to look at. The inherent challenge of that, of course, though, is having picked up something in German for a UK bank that's adverse media and no one in the department reads German, that gives a whole different kettle of fish. See, I find this really interesting, having lived in a few different countries, how different the media words things. So how do you weed when you are a global institution between all of that to judge? I mean, what, what have you seen institutions do? Because I know it's not the job of your tool to make that judgment. Any good tool in this area will remove bias. Okay, so you're not looking at the bias that comes from being read by the machine. What you're looking for is you know, cr criminality that sits within the predicate offences or whatever the bank wants to go and look at. So the machine will look for that conceptual term. It won't look at kind of all the noise around that, the way it's written and which political bias you've got and the rest of it. It will screen, it screens all of that stuff out. So it's not like a human that will read and pick it up. It will just ignore it. And in its quest for finding that kind of risk factor that, that sits between it. I mean, how do institutions do it? I mean, it, I think it's hit and miss, if I'm entirely honest. I mean, talking to institutions in different countries, we talked to a large Nordic institution that wanted a search in local language, not so much in English. We talked to a large uh, UK bank that was just interested in, in English only. And well, interestingly, until it came to where they had a complex structure that then delved off into France in a high risk area, it was like, ah, perhaps we need to think about how we might go and do that, that piece as well. The short summary to my long answer is, I think it's evolving. As, as banks are starting to understand, you know, rather than being a box ticking exercise, adverse media actually, if you do it right, can be a good indicator of risk or lack thereof. And I think that's where banks seem to be going now. They seem to have got the bug that this is the art of the possible and, you know, we can do this stuff now. Okay, so to sum it up, your tool creates an alert based on the risk assessment, which then can trigger the start for an EDD process done by a KYC analyst or... Yeah, so, so I think once, and this comes back to once banks get comfortable with the technology and the output, there's going to be a period of time where banks will need to obviously check, you know, check with humans the output of the machine. Once they get comfortable with it, you can then, I think, to your point, start to run it over your existing customer base. 
to see if the you know you've got a negative you know a net change in the sentiment scores of what's coming back or indeed you know if a if a, a new risk has shown up on an individual customer but you can do that on mass without human intervention once you once banks get to the level of trust they need to have to say you know we've we've analyzed you know how this tool works and the process that sits behind it now we're comfortable to run it across our entire customer base and you could almost do that in real time or overnight batching or how, however banks feel most comfortable and again it goes back to i guess the risk buckets that customers sit in in the periodic review period they need to do but there's no reason why they pretty much couldn't screen everybody overnight if they wanted to okay ben one final question from me i need to talk about implementation so if i want to implement this tool will that be a new massive project uh, no, it, it can be pretty much how a bank wants to do it. So it can be done as a cloud solution uh, alongside a lot of the cloud solutions that are coming out there, or it can be a, an on-premise type application for them. But yeah, again, it's, it's all API-based and it can interface with pretty much any system out there because all we're doing is processing, you know, using our AI capability to process information and then serving that into whatever system the bank already uses. Ben, you may have heard a mutual friend of ours, Mark Sully, on the podcast during season one. And we were asking him in the early days what it's like to be a salesperson when you can't meet people face to face. So how's it been for you? And you know, how do you, um, how do you adjust to the new normal going forward? <laughs> so with, with my kind of sales hat on it, you always have to kind of stay positive with these things. So it hasn't been as difficult as kind of, I thought it may have been, it's slightly more challenging in, in terms of being able to read people's body language in meetings right? <laughs> when you're doing it over Zoom and all you can see is the top half of their body. But it's been a pretty positive experience. We've, you know, we've met some really good and, had, and perhaps had a more in-depth sessions because what I found is that you know, where people have less distractions, you haven't got, your, haven't got their secretary coming to their executive assistant coming to their desk to kind of say you're at my next meeting or the rest of it. So with, with some of the senior level folk, we've had much better in-depth conversations that kind of given us a lot more information about what they're kind of currently going through so on that side it's been interesting because you get more information but like any like anything nothing beats face-to-face meeting with someone where you can well elbow bump these days and kind of look each other in the eye and and kind of have that conversation suss out what's going on well here is to elbow bumping it's always great to chat with you ben so thank you so much for taking the time absolute pleasure to the both of you and stay safe